0: Good morning, Soldier Creek. Uh, Jared, that was a a great song, just standing there thinking that my chains are gone. Um, Sometimes I get emotional, even though I'm not a highly emotional person, especially studying what we're studying today, having to relive and remember that we could and we should be in chains. Well, My name is Ethan Carter. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, My family's happy to be here. We're we're so thankful the way that everyone has uh, received us. I'm a a ministry intern here, sitting under Pastor Nathan and Pastor Jared and the deacons and everyone. So thank you for having uh, me and my family here. Are we good here? Okay. Uh, A couple things. I feel like a broken record just continually introducing myself. But I know I haven't met everyone, so that's why I do that. Being reared in a Louisiana family with a rich heritage, we still have uh, some property and a house that goes back real far, back even to the 1700s. And so family means a lot to me. Those that have gone before us mean a lot to me. Uh, our seniors, whoever I encounter of senior citizen age, mean a lot to me, mainly because of free advice. That's not true, but that's close. My uh, great-grandfather was Plaquemine Parish's historian, and his name and then my grandfather's name are on the, the old Cabildo in New Orleans for doing something with the architecture, uh, if you've been down there, right by the St. Louis Cathedral. My uncle Greg, he's the one that has the home from the 1700s that's been passed down. We have some furniture. I know Courtney's seen it, Sonia. From, from that home in our new home in Hera. So I'm bringing all that up to say that heritage means something to me. And I know it means something to you as well. I, I can only assume that many of you have significant and special aspects of your family that you're proud of. Uh, this church, since I've been here, I've been trying to learn about the rich history uh, that's here by talking to different ones. I've heard about the the fervent volunteer spirit of times past, Uh, the decade of commitments, the decade of commitment from many of you that I will never be able to live up to. Uh, I look at these fine drums donated by uh, Mayor Dukes a while ago. Miss Maxine Payne, I received your birthday card in the mail. Uh, I know you're only 21 putting those out, but I do appreciate it. Uh, Mr. Bill Branham, I spoke with him yesterday. I still recall him being the first individual uh, asking me, how's the new college and career group going? I said, man, I didn't even know this guy knew. Word gets around quick. I didn't have much to say then. We just had a couple that morning. I spoke with Mr. Ed Tatum. He shared with me about how the clown team would travel the United States, really on their own dime, take their own time off as well, ministering to the youth. Uh, Mr. Crabb, I observed his Bible like many of you have. And he's got duct tape on the back of it. I think it's duct tape. I guess that thing has been well used. I could learn from that. I've seen uh, Mr. McCain showing me how to run a kitchen. I can only imagine what being a cook like in your kitchen would have been. I'm sure we would have gotten a lot of things done. Uh, the generations that have come here. Uh, Curtis, I, I don't know your whole history but I know that you grew up in this house here. Uh, Mr. Dennis and Miss Sharon. And your grandchildren, what a rich heritage before the Lord that you have. Uh, If I may, uh, even Lance in Brooklyn, uh, thank you for modeling to me as a new guy your service to the house of God. I respect and I admire you both. By the way, Brooklyn is a great photographer, if you are looking. Just tip her. Uh, With that, with uh, the way my mind observes, not those that I mentioned, but literally just every one of you I could probably go through, I know I could, and, and talk about you a lot. But I feel it's important to give honor where honor is due. And I can't say thank you enough for allowing me and my family to serve alongside you, to learn from you, and to fight the good fight of faith with you, and to share part of my story with you. Uh, thankful for being able to work through the ordination process here, but more so than that, I just want to encourage you this morning. And I want to encourage you to stay the course. Not from outward appearance, but the motivation of your heart. Who you are, the example that you set because of who God has called you to be. You know that that shapes the direction of the next generation. These young people, they're dependent upon you to give them a reason why to serve God to give them a reason why to get off their phones, to give them a reason why to kneel on the hard ground and pray for more than five minutes, to open their Bible to the 119th Psalm and cry aloud as David did when he said, I rise before the dawning of the morning and I cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake at all the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, Oh, Lord, revive me according to your justice. It's a bunch of words, right? But he was in the midst of his own struggle, and that's what he knew to do. Uh, To cultivate anguish for personal sin, to feel the weight of separation from a holy God, to understand the depth of what Christ endured, not just on the cross, but during his three years of standing up for truth against the systems of the world. It's a long time. To meditate on Scripture day and night, knowing that my flesh, David said, trembles before you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. So said the man after God's own heart. But yet he did recall that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that culminated in a healthy fear of the Lord when he said, Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. David said that. If I didn't have this thing to hold on to, I would have perished in my affliction. Do young people know where to turn in their moment of affliction? Or have they not been afflicted enough? One day they might. I was young. I'm still young. I'm 35. But when I was younger, I did not know the source of life. And I hope you can tell by my, my volume and my tone that I'm, I'm very respectful, and I want to be with what I'm going to say. But some young people may have lost the source of life, and it's your job to pray them back. It's your job to counsel them back, to stand firm in the most holy faith, knowing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I've been foolish for a very long time, and lots of times I don't feel like God listens to me because of how foolish I've been. So I've had to cultivate and and dig that ground again. And it's hard. The day of reckoning will will come. The message of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here we approach the question as to why it was necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die. May we pray together. Father, thank you for the truth and the value of your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. With our brief time here today, may we honor you in all that we say and that we do. Uh, may our hearts and our actions reflect a life changed by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the way I was raised, but there is a, a level, and I'm just telling you, there is a level of reverent fear that grips my heart and forces my knee to bow to heaven for my sin and my wretchedness. Does your sin bother you? I I hesitate to say but I interact with a lot of young people and their flesh recoils when I challenge them to repent. It doesn't take a surgeon to look at their eyes and see anger towards me for challenging personal repentance. But I challenge it to myself as well. Because a young generation largely devoid of respect for authority and respect for the Bible means that we have to repent. Repent. Because we're not going to be able to hear him when that time comes. I don't enjoy doing that at all. I don't, enjoy, I don't enjoy telling myself, Ethan, you got angry at Lauren, sweet little Lauren, because you were upset, and now you got to go apologize and repent. So if I don't enjoy doing that to myself, I certainly don't enjoy doing that with others. It's not fun at all. But the hope provided from the fear of the Lord compels me to repent, and it compels me to call others to Repentance. Even when I'm not living right. That's hard to do. That is very hard to do. The cross of Christ necessitates that we beacon repentance. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When I was hungry, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. A prisoner, you visited me. Pretty simple. So why was it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die? Let us read together. Since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. That's a mouthful. And we can get lost in translation and words... Let's go on to Colossians 1, 22. The scripture provided, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So let's think of a punishment less intense than crucifixion for a moment. What do you think would happen to the military member who went MIA when he was on orders? Probably be a situation. Uh, Ms. Marilyn, what would happen to a student of yours if they recovered the test prior to examination and attempted to spread it? Well, we know that an exact punishment would fit the crime. And sin's requirement of death is no different that punishment fit the crime Ezekiel eighteen four. it says the soul who sins shall die and I don't have it up there I'm just going to read a couple of them Genesis three seventeen. Adam said actually God said to Adam because you've heeded the voice of your wife eaten the tree that I commanded you not to eat of cursed is the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field, the sweat of your face. You shall eat till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken dust to dust, and dust shall you return. So punishment, punishment for sin being death again. And then lastly, a reminder of punishment for sin being death. We all know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So why was it necessary? Number one, our guilt required payment for sin and right standing with God it required that oh that's a big requirement just as the student who stole the test key would be required to take his punishment so must sin's guilt be paid for through the shedding of blood and there's no other way there's no other way God created this expression I'm not sure why and he started it with the lamb in the Old Testament the innocent lamb which became Christ Jesus. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have more verses to explain that, but everyone gets the idea. So of the conscience being cleansed and purified, redeemed, born from the shedding of the Lamb's blood, I want to share an actual example of why it was necessary for Christ the Redeemer to to die, rather than going through some more scripture for a minute. A real-life example. So, the 1970s in Cambodia. All during the night, the members of Haim's family, they comforted each other. True story. They knew they only had a few more hours to live on the earth. The Cambodian communists had tried had tied them together, forced them to lie down on the grass. And earlier that day, Hame's whole family, they'd been rounded up for execution. Because they were all Christians, the communists said, you were bad blood enemies of, of our glorious revolution. So in the morning, actually had them dig their own graves. And the killers were pretty generous at, at, at allowing their, their victims to have a moment of silence to pray together parents and children. They held their hands near the open grave. And after his family finished his prayers, Haim exhorted the communists and all those. He still did this. He still looked up at him and said, hey, y'all need to repent and receive Jesus as Savior. So suddenly one of Haim's young sons, he leapt to his feet and he took off running towards the woods. Haim was amazingly cool as he persuaded the soldiers not to chase the boy, but allow him to call his own son back. So while the family knelt, the father pleaded with his son, Come on back and come die with us. He said, Think, my son, he shouted, can stealing a few more days of life as a fugitive in that forest compare to joining your family here around the grave, but soon free forever in paradise? So weeping, weeping, the boy walked back. Haim said, to The executioners now we're ready to go we're ready to go but you know what none of the soldiers would kill him and finally an officer who had not witnessed the scene he came and he he shot the Christians when I talk about wrestling with my own sin some of these some of this imagery comes to mind and oh what great faith and assurance that the death of our Redeemer has made can you imagine being so fully persuaded like they were that you call your own son to come back and die with you, that you might live with Christ? That's when I'm talking about the necessary act of Christ's death on the cross for us. And that act of martyrdom produced a repentance even among his killers. So the Redeemer's death, burial, and resurrection produces on the inside of us it should. A love for Christ. It was hard-earned, though. Each thorn smashed on his head, blood was shed for my redemption. With each lash of the cat of 9 tails blood was shed for my redemption. With each nail in his head, blood was shed for my redemption. And with that physical death and Christ questioning God, he questioned, Why have you forsaken me? Blood was shed for my redemption. Uh, more than unlawful imprisonment. Uh, greater than living under a cruel tyrant. Or worse than going to work for 12 hours a day in a hot sun for no wages. Everything done at Calvary had a purpose and has a purpose for now. To call you and to call I to repentance. To search our heart, not to harden it. It's very easy to harden my heart to the fact that one day, a day of reckoning will come. And if you're not fully persuaded, like that Kim Bodian family, find a chair. Find a chair and do this. Right here, it hurts after about five minutes because it's hard. And put your arms on the chair and put your hands over your face and weep until you can find a reason That's my humble recommendation. You do what you want, obviously. And I'm not telling anybody what to do. That's what I do. It's just just, just that the short amount of time that we have left is not worth an eternity of hell, okay? So we concluded that, number one, our guilt required payment for forgiveness of sin and right standing with God. Number two, his death was necessary because it canceled out the law and wiped away our sin. Every point that we're going to talk about today, just in a few more minutes, we already know. I'm just going to try to provide a little bit of imagery and a little bit from my heart on that. So we're not talking about anything big and theological, but why was this horrific act necessary? Because the deity demanded this measure of appeasement. That's what God demanded. That That was His demand. As the propitiation or the, I don't say this word right, conciliatory offering, who said, hold on, I will take their place, Jesus appeased the requirement of bloodshed for sin. He canceled the law and he did away with it. So aren't you glad that you and I aren't under the old law? Let's see, we have 600 plus commandments. We can look at a few of them. One of the. Uh, One of the commandments in the law said the first fruits of all your labor must be separated and brought to the sanctuary of Yahweh. Okay, that's pretty easy to fulfill. Another one was the third tithe must be set aside for the poor in the third and sixth year of the seventh year cycle. Whatever, but I think the deacons and the committees, they can do that thing if we had to. Uh, A little more challenging, but nothing for our committees that they couldn't handle. How about we must eat unleavened bread from the 15th through the 21st year of Abib? I bet Lynn knows what that means. I don't. Do not wear holy garments made of both wool and linen. Do not shave your sides of your head in honor of the dead. Don't test Yahweh by doubting or rebelling. Okay, we all get the picture. That's a lot of commandments if we were under the old law. That's why it's so important. And that's why I read a few of them, because we hear we're not under the law. Well, what really is under the law? There's a lot of things that we wouldn't live up to. So you get to picture Christ's death was necessary to cancel the law and to wipe away our sin. Colossians 2, 13, I'll just read it for you. And you being dead in trespasses and sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, forgiving you of all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements of the law that was against us. He's taken it out the way and nailed it to the cross. He's made a public spectacle of our enemies and triumphed over them. So I think about his necessary death to cancel the law and to wipe away our sins as as the God that that took our place. I think I was, I thought about 2014, I was sitting in an Air Force class, pretty bored, and then they had this... uh, Older gentleman, 80s, I don't know. He came in and he got to find out that he's a retired full bird colonel, so we're going to perk up and see what this man has to say. And he was a prisoner of war, and I wish I had his name. I just remember the story. He was a prisoner of war, and he brought a rope up there, and he said, you know, during Vietnam I was captured, and do you all mind if I show you what they did to me? what we want to see so he called a guy up he tied the guy's hands up behind his back and then he colonel's over here threw the rope over his shoulder and he just started pulling on the guy's arms just a little bit he says well they actually pulled my arms all the way around and pulled them out of socket and then let me stay there for about 24 hours and they came back and they said are you ready to tell us what we want to know it's a different generation, man. Uh, I'm sure he didn't say, no, sir, I'm not ready to tell you, but he said, I'm not, I'm not telling you what you want to know. But he did his arms again, wrapped it over, and pulled it over again. Eventually, he got rescued. He claimed to have been in there with uh, the uh, deceased John McCain as well. But he took a position so as not to jeopardize what we, what we had going on over there. Just as the colonel was offered a way out of his torture, so was Christ taken to a mountaintop and ignorantly offered by Satan the whole world if he would just subject himself to him. That's a picture of Christ's substitutionary act for us. Thirdly, the Redeemer had to die because His blood justifies, and we all know this. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, shall we be saved from the wrath through Him? You know, we sing about His blood all the time. Uh, one that I grew up singing, actually, believe it or not, in a non-denominational church. Our pastor was Southern Baptist, and then he went, to, but he would bring in a lot of hymns. His blood justifies. So would you be free from the burden of sin? Do you want to be free? Well, there's power in the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? I don't like my passion and pride. That separates me from God. Well, there's power in the blood. Would you be whiter than snow? when I'm alone in my own mind, I'm very unhappy. With my sin and my wretchedness. I want to be whiter than snow, whether it's power in the blood. Would you do service for Jesus your king? There's power in the blood. First Peter 1:18 through19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. We sing about it a lot. Why is that? Why did they write these back in the 1800s and the 1900s? Because there's power in the blood. There's something to it. Thank God for His blood. And although there are more theological breakdowns to give on why His death was necessary, I want to give a final one. We could probably talk about it a lot more. A lot. You're a lot smarter than I am about knowing all these. The Redeemer had to die that we might receive His grace. So we're going to talk a little bit about grace, maybe in a little different way, just a little bit. Let's see, 82, my parents got married, 82. But my mother called my dad and said, I got cancer, we can't get married. He says, no, we're going to still get married, that's all right. All right, 84... She's pregnant. Still going through some pretty big chemo, radiation type things. Doctors, I think a panel, three or four of them came up and said, you know, this Carter, you really need to let him go. Let, let you can't, you can't do both. Sorry. And I th- they were, the way it was told to me is they were upset that she, she said, I'm not gonna abort my son. And, and she did not abort her son, but she, She got off her chemo and her radiation. Right? So, the act of a... I will not... What is the word? Embellish it. But it really is the act of of a martyr. My life depended upon her death is what I'm getting at, okay? Just as the gracious act of a mother for her son was required. There was no other way. So much abundantly more was the death of a perfect man that you and I could receive grace today. No other way. How many of you woke up this morning angry about something? I never get any hands. I don't preach that much, so. Uh, How many of you thought or said a cuss word while in traffic recently? I did that I should have thought a bad one. I thought I was going to get in trouble. How many of you lied to your spouse or to your boss or to your friend? I'm, I'm assuming I do it routinely but I don't want to keep a count. I hope I don't do it routinely. How many of you turned your back on God when you knew what he wanted you to do? So because of his death, his bloodshed, we have grace and, and don't have to Keep a stockpile of innocent lambs on reserve. There's an old book from the 40s that I'm going through. It's real small Discipline by Grace. Because I hear grace all the time, like you do, but we don't, perhaps we don't get the clear picture all the time because we've heard it so much. And the author said, Grace, therefore, is not just a mere. Expression of pity and compassion on the part of God. Like, oh, thank you, Lord, your grace, I'm saved, and thank you. It's not the setting aside of justice and passing over sins that should be punished. It is, let it be repeated, a forgiveness of sin because the full penalty has been paid by another. And I briefly highlighted a little bit about that penalty that was paid tragically paid. And none of us want to sit through the passion of the Christ again, but that's a pretty decent reminder for me to fall on my face again. This is basic to grace, he says, and that which grace rests apart from the propitiatory death of Christ, there can be no grace of God towards men. So you and I can't have grace for forgiveness of sins We would have to fulfill all 600 commandments or however many there are without the grace of God. But guess what? The grace of God is the hottest commodity in the world. And we only have it because he worked for it. We only had it because he wrestled. And I need to be reminded of that wrestle as I sit in air conditioning, as I have a new house. I need to be reminded of that wrestle we could not be rescued without the death of Christ on the cross. So when you and I think on the grace of God, may we be reminded of this cost. And this is why I'm rather animated this morning. Because I'm compelled to remind myself. Jared sees me all the time. He knows my ways, so does Miss Sue. I'm compelled to remind myself, me, myself, and I, and you... To concentrate and to meditate, as David did, on the state of my sin and my separation from God and the work required to obtain that most precious, holy, heavenly commodity, that being the grace of God, that is not cheap. That's hard to talk about. It's hard to get out in a way that causes me to move. So application. Uh, For me... (coughs) Application is, recall to memory the wrestle in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know everything that Christ did. Application, if you want to, knees on the ground, hands in the seat of the chair, head in your face and pray. And repent until your knees hurt. That's for me. And Father, I can't stand to be away from you. Because validation comes through repentance. He's not going to bend. I've got to bend. He's long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. But his mercy requires judgment. Grace isn't chief. Without his death, there'd be no grace. It was wrestled for, it was fought for, and it was obtained. And we trample upon it every time that we entertain what we want over his word. So remember David's words, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. He really meant that, right? And am I anguishing over my sin and my selfishness? See, Jesus said, remember in the garden, nevertheless, nevertheless, you know, I'm going to do it. But before that, he acknowledged, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful probably shaken because if it's possible father let this cup pass from me that's just getting real with god with his father right there but he concluded with this cup cannot pass from me unless i drink it your will be done so our chief hero of the faith he rose to the occasion he rose to the occasion to die a murderer's death a thief's death but for those who did surrender to the truth of the gospel, oh, what exceeding joy that they found. For the joy set before him, he endured. And my challenge to you today was just twofold. Remember the garden. And if you're struggling, finding quiet, like I often do, quiet of my mind, quieting myself down, getting alone with God, my challenge then was to paint that imagery of kneeling down by the chair. Just isolating yourself for a little bit. We'll prepare our hearts for a time of invitation. I'll come down here and pray with anyone that would like to. uh, Stand alongside anyone that would like to. Uh, If we have deacons that wouldn't mind being available to pray, we'll have that as well. But I hope that you are encouraged in your heart because he's provided that way of escape. And it's simple. It's just, yes, sir. And he says, thank you. It's simple. So be encouraged today. As we wrestle with our own sin and we think, yeah, I know, I know a little bit what, what's going on there. Be encouraged that he wants us to run towards him. He doesn't want to leave us stranded, but he wants us to run towards him as we acknowledge our need for him. Because it's easy to get blinded by the cares of this world, right? But maybe we get, may we get blinded by Christ and what He can offer us. Would you bow your head? We'll pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we even have something to talk about that's worth talking about. Thank you for the people here that you've set before me, God, to offer me an example of hope that I look up to. Thank you for Pastor Nathan, Pastor Jared. Thank you for the wonderful people in here that you have called your sons and your daughters. If we need to do some heart work today, God, would you prick our hearts? I know I need to. I need to let you in a little bit more. We thank you for the hope that you've provided we thank you that your death was necessary and gave us life in you in jesus name